you think that was good, you wait to see how we end this morning. You know, Easter Sunday morning didn't start out, not starting out with a celebration. It actually began in a graveyard. For most people, graveyards are pretty scary places. For others, a graveyard can be a place of intrigue. My wife and I, every once in a while, would go to an old graveyard and read the markers. I don't know if you've ever done that, but read the markers and you wonder about their life or maybe why they died so soon or you've seen a mother and a child buried in the same spot. You wonder what their life must have been like and how difficult that would have been. That poem that we probably have heard in a number of times at a funeral service, our life is a dash between the lines, between your birth date and your date of death is a small dash, and it really represents all of your life. And every time I see that small dash at a graveside, I'm reminded again of how quickly life passes. Every so often, we go out for a ride on Sunday nights, I've told you before, and one night we were on a back road. I didn't know where we were at first on Cornetti Drive somewhere or road, and all of a sudden we saw one of those blue and white or blue and yellow Pennsylvania sign markers, and my wife loves to read all of those. And so we read that one and realized that down in the woods, about 100 yards from that road sign, was a mass grave. Somewhere in the 1900s, I believe it was, I can't even remember exactly now, it just came to me this morning when I was thinking about that, it was a a number of immigrants that had come to the United States and came upon the bubonic plague, I think, and they buried him in a mass grave, put one lone marker. Weren't even sure how many were there. And one lone marker, I thought, you wonder if the family even knows. You wonder what they knew about what had taken place just knowing they were gone never to be seen again, and all of them buried in one spot with one lone marker on top. Easter Sunday morning was a pretty scary event for a lot of people that were there that day, but it began in a graveyard. I grew up near Avella, Pennsylvania, Buffalo. It doesn't matter where. It's just a little quaint town. There was an old Presbyterian church, and every once in a while, my brother would go out with me on an evening thing, and we would wait for it to be as dark as it possibly could be and then you try to see who could scare each other the most. It's obviously usually him. When I was a youth pastor, one of the events we always did as a youth pastor is take all of the kids to a graveyard and tell the most scariest stories you can imagine to see who would cry first, especially if it was a guy. One of my favorite graveyard stories is about a little boy who lived near one. He got scared every time he went near it, especially if he had to go through it to get home faster. Always had someone with him. One night, he was coming home alone. His parents reassured him he'd make it okay, and they said, now look, when you come to the graveyard, just run as fast as you can, saying to yourself over and over again, I can make it, I can make it. Before you know it, you'll be home. So he was coming home that night, came to the graveyard, took a deep breath, started running as fast as he possibly could, saying over and over in his mind, I can make it, I can make it, I can make it. Little did he know that day, but a fresh grave had been dug, And as he was running through the graveyard, he didn't even see the hole and straight down in it. Crying to no end, scared to death, clawing and crying to get out, yelling, I can make it, I can make it, I can make it. Now, the other thing he didn't know was about an hour before that, an old bum had fallen into the hole, unconscious over in a corner. After a while, the old man woke up, saw the little boy, didn't say a word, just watched him for a while. Found a little boy, gave up, sat down in the corner and cried. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. The old man felt sorry for him and yelled, yes, you can. And he did. (laughs) 
When you and I think of a graveyard, we think of death, naturally so. We think of sorrow, we think of crying, we think of pain, we think of separation, we think of broken families, we think of loved ones that we're not going to see again. What fascinates me about the thousand of things that Christianity brings to the table compared to every other single religion on the planet is that it takes away all of those things from a graveyard. There's no other religion on this planet that does and offers what Christianity does, which is why this morning is such a great celebration. Because in Christ, we know, as long as we know Christ is our Savior, death doesn't separate us. Paul says we don't sorrow as those who have no hope because our hope is in Christ. But on that Easter Sunday morning, the graveyard to them was a place where all hope was gone. That everything and everything they felt that night on crucifixion night was over. You've got to remember, when those ladies came that Easter Sunday morning to that graveyard, the very last sight they saw was Jesus dying and being taken off the cross and laid in the tomb. So when they came that Sunday morning, they didn't expect to see what they saw. They came specifically knowing that Jesus had died. Everything they'd hoped for, everything they longed for, everything they thought would come true to them that moment when Jesus was taken off that cross and laid in that tomb was gone. Some very devoted women came after the Sabbath. As a very devout Jew, you couldn't touch a body or even go to a graveyard on the Sabbath so that early that Sunday morning they came to see a dead Messiah. They came to weep. They came like you and I would come with sorrow, a deep sense of loss, and an incredible uncertainty about the future. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but I've got to believe every once in a while in life, you've come to those points in life where you felt the same, where you weren't sure what tomorrow was going to bring. You weren't sure what the next day or the next week or the next month or the next phone call was going to bring. They came that way that day. No matter how many times Jesus predicted his death and resurrection, I don't think they were prepared for what they saw on that Easter Sunday morning. And sometimes, no matter how big our faith is or how deep our faith is, sometimes, every once in a while, we need an Easter Sunday miracle. And that's what they got. One of the stories is found in Matthew chapter 28. So if you have your Bibles and want to turn there for a moment, you may. Every gospel gives a great rendition of the story. I enjoy them all, but the one I want to read for you this morning specifically is out of Matthew 28. It is after the Sabbath, as I said a moment ago, at, at dawn on the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. Some of the other... Stories tell us the other names of the women. There was a violent earthquake where an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to them, don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, he's risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples, He's risen from the dead and going ahead of you in Galilee. There you'll see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. They ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went to the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, and they told them this. You're to say his disciples came 
during the night and stole the body away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And the story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. These guys in the last four verses were going to try to do everything they possibly could to keep the story of the resurrection of Jesus quiet. They probably or possibly knew the impact of that, but they were going to do everything they possibly could to keep the story of Jesus rising from the dead quiet. The enemy of our souls will do the same. He'll try to do everything he can to tell us the same lie. The Christ's resurrection isn't that significant. You've heard it all before. You know it. You've gone to church. You understand the Easter story. That's why you're here today. You know Christ resurrected from the dead, but it doesn't mean anything to me personally, some will say. You don't need Jesus. He can't help you. He'll never get you out of the mess you're in. Your life can't turn around. It won't be changed. But as their stories were filled with lies, so are Satan's. I think one of the reasons Jesus made so many appearances over the next few days in his life was to knock holes in their story and put an end to the lies. You see, death couldn't hold Jesus down. No matter what kind of power man conceives, it'll never, he'll never ever develop that kind of power. Only God has the power to change us from death to life, to change your life no matter how bad it is, no matter where it's gone, no matter how deep your valley is, no matter how bad your life has been, nothing but the power of God can change you from death to life. I love all of Paul's writings. He's one of the most fascinating writers in the New Testament. One of my favorites is Philippians. One of my other favorites is Ephesians. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, let me just tell you what Friday night was like. Let me just tell you what sin did to you. You were dead. It didn't just trip you up. It didn't just cripple you. It didn't just keep you down for a while. You were dead then let me tell you what God did. Out of his amazing love for us, he brought us to new life with Christ when he rose him from the dead. He talks about us being foreigners and aliens and now all of a sudden being invited into the blessings of God. Everything that God had promised us is available because of Jesus and because of his death and resurrection. Over and over and over again, Jesus predicted that he would rise from the dead. Every gospel says it. Matthew 20 and 27, Mark 8 and 9, Luke 18 and 24, John 20. On the cross, Jesus died. Scripture said he gave up the ghost. The soldiers said he was dead. The agents of Pilate said he was dead. Joseph of Arimathea took him down, laid him in a tomb because he was dead. Reports everywhere, he's gone. At that moment, everything hung in the balance. The world waited, heaven waited, Scripture tells us that even nature waited to see what was going to take place. But just as he said he would, Jesus rose from the dead. And in a world filled with bad news all the time, that's good news. In a world where contracts are broken, commitments aren't kept, and marriage covenants get shattered every day, isn't it great to know that God keeps his promises? So that when he said, I will rise from the dead and kept that promise, it means he can keep any promise. When he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, the resurrection tells me he'll keep that promise. When he said, I'll walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death, the resurrection tells me he'll keep that promise. When he says, I'll come again and receive you unto myself in John 14, and you can live with me for eternity, the resurrection tells me he means that. When he says, you can accept me as Savior, I'll forgive your sins, I'll wash them away as if they were never there, I'll give you a brand new life, and I'll give you eternal life on top of that, the resurrection tells you he means that 
That's why this day is a day of good news. No wonder the ladies ran on Easter Sunday morning. Good news doesn't walk, it runs. After seeing the empty tomb, they ran to tell the disciples. They knew what it meant. They knew it meant forgiveness for the past, joy in the present, hope for the future. When Jesus said, I'll die for the sins of the world, his ability to rise from the dead, as Paul says in Ephesians, takes us from death to life. It also means we got joy for today. Jesus' resurrection gives life meaning. He took from a tragedy and made it a triumph, from a dead Messiah to a risen Savior. I don't have to figure this life out on my own. I have a risen Savior who gives me life, wisdom, direction, guidance, strength, relationships, and eternal life. I've got everything to live for. I've got everything to die for because of what Jesus did that Easter Sunday morning. When I receive Christ as my Savior, I know exactly where I'm going when I die. And he came to give me life and give it to me abundantly. That I can live this life to the fullest and get eternal life on top of that. There's no other offer on the planet other than what Jesus gives us on this Easter Sunday morning. That my past can be gone, my present can be amazing, and my future is secure in Jesus. And that I can live this life to the fullest and have every reason to live and a reason to die because of what he did for me. In a world so unpredictable and incredibly uncertain, Jesus and Easter Sunday morning gives us hope. No matter what you're going through in this life, no matter where you've been in this life, no matter what tragedy has struck you, no matter how deep your waters are right now, the Easter message is for all of us. If your life is incredible and you can't imagine it getting better, or if your life's in the bottom and you can't imagine it getting worse, the Easter message is for all of us. It is God's greatest gift available to all. Wherever we've been, how many other times we've heard it, it is God's greatest story and greatest gift to us all. And he wants us to enjoy it to the fullest. Let's pray. Father, we all come from different walks of life, from different kinds of weeks and circumstances. We come from different backgrounds and sometimes even different theologies. But this morning, we concentrate on the greatest teaching ever taught, the greatest story ever told, that you have come to give us life and give it to us forever. And so, Father, we come this Easter Sunday morning celebrating the resurrected Lord. Some of us here this morning remember what it was like without you. Remember what it was like when we had nowhere to turn and nowhere to go. Didn't even know if we believed the story. We've heard it so many times, we didn't know if it was true. And somewhere along the way, somebody faithfully shared your truth with us again, or your spirit kept working on us and you drew us in. And this morning, we come and we celebrate. Because we were dead and we knew it. Because of Jesus, we're alive in Christ. There's others here this morning who have heard the story so many times, they could repeat it off by heart, but it really hasn't changed them a lot. And so I pray today in the name of Jesus and by the power of the cross and the resurrected Lord that you will bring to them risen redemption, a chance to start all over again, a chance to have a fresh wind and a fresh breath of air blown into their life because of Jesus and what he did for us and turn their life around and make it brand new. For others who have no hope, may they recognize this morning that every hope we could ever have imagined is found in you. And may they find the joy that all of us have found in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.